Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. As we adapt in this season of pandemic, we are meeting in our house churches in person and online as a primary space for worship, formation, connection, and encouragement. Teachings like this are one way we engage with scripture seeking to become more like Christ. These teaching podcasts also serve as a conversation starter for deeper engagement at House Church. We're glad you're listening. Well, hello, Renew. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is J.R. Briggs, and my family and I have been a part of Renew since the very beginning back in 2008. Greetings to you all as you watch in living rooms across Montgomery and Bucks County. And kids, kids, I know you're there. Can you give me a wave, kids? I just want to make sure you're there. I want to make sure that you're listening and you're watching as well. Well, there are so many things that have happened and are still happening that weren't on anyone's bingo card in 2020. But as we know, God does some of his best work in the midst of chaos. And let's name what's difficult. Let's grieve what we've lost. But let's also look with expectant eyes through this Advent season, where we have hearts full of anticipation of what God is doing and what He might want to do long into the future. Well, as we know, this is a season of Advent, and as we've been journeying through the season of Advent, I just want to remind us that Advent means arrival or coming, and as we uh, experience Advent, we're experiencing the tension that exists within Advent. We're celebrating the arrival of Christ's birth, but we also are waiting for His return. It's a time filled with suffering, but also a time of hope. There's joy available to us now, and yet as we wait, we wait for the world to be set right again, that we are still waiting for the renewal of all things. Advent is both celebration of the past and a dress rehearsal for the future. And I think of that line, and I just cannot, it cannot escape me, during Advent from the the Advent hymn, O Holy Night, that says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And right now, we certainly are feeling weary, and uh, we hope that in this time that we'll be able to rejoice as well. We know that Christ has been born, but we are weary. We need Him to come again, and we need Him to come again soon. Now, how can we hope and be full of peace and joy when it seems the whole world is falling apart at the seams. That's what I want to look at today. But I, but I want to remind us that Advent is a bit peculiar, isn't it? I mean, to focus on the same things, the same topics for four straight weeks every December, to some can feel very peculiar. We know the ending of the story, so why do we focus on it each year for four weeks? We do this per, uh, particular and peculiar practice because we are called to be peculiar people as well. And being peculiar isn't being weird, and it's not being normal, it's being different. It's being unique and uncommon, distinct or unusual. To be peculiar is quite literally to be uncategorizable. And so Advent teaches us to be peculiar people. Advent is training wheels for us to learn to ride the bike of peculiarity as followers of Jesus. You see, when the media cranks up the anxiety, Christians are called to follow the Prince of Peace. When division and power and violence against those who are the other seem to be the norm, Jesus invites us into love. And when we look around and see despair, Jesus invites us into hope. And when the world feels gloomy, Jesus invites us into joy, defiant joy. 
And that is what Advent is about. So right now, I want to encourage you as you're on couches and chairs and sitting around living room floors, I want to encourage you to turn in your Bible to Isaiah 61. I'm going to be reading a few verses out of Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 is a beautiful chapter, and if you know much about Isaiah, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are really depressing. (laughs) They're hard to read. Now, Bennett and I are reading through the Bible this year in his 10th year of life. We just got finished with Isaiah and Jeremiah, and for most of those books, they're quite depressing. The first 39 chapters are just hard to read. But then you start to get to chapter 40 and beyond in Isaiah, and things start to have a more hopeful tone and tune to them. And so the prophet Isaiah, uh, several centuries before Christ, said this. And so I'm going to be reading Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 4, and then I'm going to jump down to verses 8 through 11. But follow along with me here. This is what it says in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has chosen me, he has commissioned me to encourage the poor, to help the brokenhearted, to decree the release of captives and the freeing of prisoners, to announce the year when the Lord will show his favor, the day when our God will seek vengeance, to console all who mourn, to strengthen those who mourn in Zion by giving them a turban instead of ashes, oil symbolizing joy instead of mourning, a garment symbolizing praise instead of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, trees planted by the Lord to reveal His splendor. They will rebuild the perpetual ruins and restore the places that were desolate. They will reestablish the ruined cities, the places that have been desolate since ancient times. And then let me skip down to the end of this chapter, verses 8 through 11. For I, the Lord, love justice and hate robbery and sin. I will repay them because of my faithfulness. I will make a permanent covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that the Lord has blessed them. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I will be overjoyed because of my God, for he clothes me in garments of deliverance. He puts me puts on me a robe symbolizing vindication. I look like a bridegroom when he wears a turban as a priest would. I look like a bride when she puts on her jewelry, for just as the ground produces its crops and a garden yields its produce, so the sovereign Lord will cause deliverance to grow and give his people reason to praise to praise him in the sight of all the nations. I love this passage. The prophet Isaiah uses so much imagery here in this passage. Did you catch it? He used images of changing of clothes, of a horticulturalist, of a builder, of a bride and groom, and also, again, as a gardener. And God spoke with the prophets like Isaiah, among others, like Jeremiah, Micah, Habakkuk, Ezekiel, Joel, Obadiah. He used messengers, mouthpieces, to communicate what he wanted to the nation of Israel. But then, all of a sudden, there were 400 years of silence. God stopped talking to his people. There was nothing. No prophets, no words, no revelation, just radio silence. And there's, in most of our Bibles, there's that one blank page between the First Testament and the Second Testament. It's a blank page that simply reads New Testament. 
separating the two Testaments. That one blank sheet of paper represents 400 years of Israel's history where God said nothing. And it was during that time that God's people wondered, where is God? Where did he go? Does he no longer care for his people? Has he forgotten us forever? See, these were the questions that dominated the minds of Jews for four centuries until, boom, God showed up on the scene in human history by bringing a baby boy into a family of humble means and a little village on the outskirts of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. And that's when the joy arrives. And we read in Luke chapter 4, as Jesus grew up, that he stood up in front of the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he read from the scroll in Isaiah. He read the Isaiah 61 passage that I just read. And as they stared at him, he stated boldly and clearly, he said, I am that person. I'm that one. I'm the one who will bring peace and freedom and joy. It's me. And so let's lean in a little bit more with joy. I know we've been talking about joy for the last few months. I want to just continue on a little bit further up the field what we've looked at when it comes to joy. You know, embracing joy in a world that's just riddled with so much pain is very peculiar, isn't it? Uh, It was the New York Times journalist David Brooks who wrote that our society has become a conspiracy against joy. And the way we act out our peculiarity as followers of Jesus is by celebrating joy. Now, many of you remember a few Decembers ago when we at Renew explored the topic of joy during Advent together. Ben preached on joy, but he didn't really preach it. He embodied it fully. Right in the middle of his sermon, you remember it if you were there, he did a few cartwheels and front roll somersaults, uh, sending his lapel mic flying. And then he let out a woohoo! Ben knew that simply talking about joy wasn't enough. And Ben, when he was done teaching, requested that we stand up and we push our folding chairs to the edge of the Boys and Girls Club gym walls. And what did we do? We did only what joy would necessitate. We had a dance party. And with the space cleared, we danced the morning away, didn't we? And then during that final song, you may remember, we heard loud pops as confetti cannons exploded. You know, this is nothing new for us at Renew, right? We know how to practice joy. That's what we do in our baptism services, where we have one rule. Say it with me. You know it. No polite golf claps are allowed. You know, after that dance party a few Advents ago at the Boys and Girls Club, Rick and Becky Vasso and their two sons, Benton and Tyler, they bent down on the gym floor with all the confetti, and they picked up handfuls of confetti, and they stuffed it in their pockets. They went home that afternoon and they built ornaments, clear plastic balls, and they put the confetti inside of it and secured it, and it now hangs as an ornament on their tree. They want to look at it each year to be reminded that joy is what this season is about, that if we aren't people who are about dance parties and confetti, then what are we doing? That's our peculiarity. And I'm so grateful for the Vasos and their willingness to do that. They didn't want to forget what the season was about. And maybe because of what has happened in 2020, all that we've gone through, that maybe we all need to reach down and grab handfuls of confetti and stuff our pockets full and go home and actually make ornaments to place on our tree to remind us what this season is all about. Because joy is one of the primary colors of God's kingdom. 
baptism celebrations and dance parties in the Boys and Girls Club help our little community cultivate and embody uninhibited joy. You see, we take joy seriously because we play for keeps. We pop the corks and go nuts for the things that matter most. And I'm convinced that a church's health and vitality is directly related to its level of joy. And I'm so grateful that even in a tough year that we continue to be people of joy. It's why we need to focus on joy each and every Advent season and especially this year. Because as C.S. Lewis wrote, joy is the serious business of heaven. Now, many of you know that I'm a baseball fan. I recently read a piece by Josh Noam, and he collects images of walk-off home runs where home run hitters are rounding third base and heading for home to be greeted by their teammates at home plate. And he does this, he said, because he believes it's a visceral portrayal of what heaven is like. I was so moved when I read that that I actually began that practice too. On my computer, I have a file of walk-off home runs, and I pull it out on occasion, and I look at them, and I reflect on these walk-off home run images. Josh Noam asked three important questions about walk-off home runs. The first one was, he said, why do moments like these ricochet around in our hearts? Could it be that we were made for this kind of glory, the reunion, that, that reunion is strung through our DNA, and restoration lives in our bones? And then he asked this question, Won't that be what heaven feels like coming home? You know, all of this, of course, shows us that baseball is God's game, but that's for another time. You know, this summer, a good friend of mine uh, died of cancer. I preached a few times at uh, my friend Mike's church, which is an Ecclesia Network church, and it meets in a community center in Easton, PA. Now, hanging from the center of the community center room there where the church gathers is a disco ball. And when I stand up to preach, before I even open my mouth, I just look up at the disco ball and seeing all those dozens of square mirrored tiles, and I consider the spiritual implications of what's happening here. On occasion, Carter and Bennett will say to me, hey, dad, when are we going back up to that church that has the disco ball in it? I sometimes imagine what would it be like if every single church had a disco ball hanging from the center of its worship space? How might that stir our kingdom imagination about the role of joy and celebration as the people of God? You know, it's startling to realize that there are times in Scripture where God didn't just want His people to celebrate and have joy. He actually commanded His people to be joyful. You know, how easy it is for us as Christians in the West to forget that we serve a God that doesn't just invite us onto the dance floor to party. He actually commands us to join Him on the floor. See, even when we've lost our job, we can choose joy. Even when our spouse leaves us, we can choose joy. Even when our kids are at home for virtual learning or homeschooling has been so much harder than we ever imagined, we can still choose joy. Joy, when our boss seems unfair and the money and the bills don't match up at the end of the month, we can still choose joy. It's crazy, right? But joy, defiant joy, is available to all of us even in the midst of the sorrow. And one of my favorite poets is the late Mary Oliver, and she wrote a a poem about joy titled, Don't Hesitate. 
And the final line of the poem says this, joy is not made to be a crumb. Joy is not made to be a crumb. I love that line. Sometimes we think that all we can do is just eat a couple of the breadcrumbs left over and that's our joy. No, no, it's a feast. Joy is made to be a big fat prime rib, a big piece of salmon, a big Thanksgiving meal. You see, if we try to generate ongoing joy based on our circumstances of our days, we're toast. Life is too difficult, even downright painful, for us to try to achieve authentic, lasting joy by reading another self-help book or watching another TED Talk. But when our source of joy is rooted in the person of Jesus, that is readily available to us. You see, when I officiate weddings, I don't look at the bride coming down the aisle. Now, the bride is beautiful and all eyes are on the bride, except mine. Instead, I've got the groom that's standing next to me just a foot or two away. And instead of looking at the bride, I look at the groom who's looking at his bride. And I'll tell you, that to me is joy. No photographer could ever capture the joy that's oozing out of every pore of the groom when he's looking at his bride coming down the aisle. The joy on his face is palpable. The bride looks beautiful, of course, but the joy just a few feet away from me is undeniable for me to watch while she comes toward him. That's what joy is like. It's not a rah-rah Christian pep rally kind of joy. It's the kind of joy that can make us jump around with our hands in the air and smiles on our faces even when we've got tears streaming down our cheeks. It's sorrow and also joy. Hope-filled joy is the mortar that fills in the cracks between the bricks of the difficult present and the victorious future. That's what joy is. Next time you look at a brick wall, I want you to look at mortar and say the reason why this wall works of bricks is because the mortar is keeping it together. That's what joy is in the life of a Christian. See, we live in the tension as peculiar people in a peculiar time like Advent where we reflect on joy, even in our collective grief and sorrow and woundedness. So I want to allow you a chance in just a moment to discuss further in your house church what we're talking about. As we conclude, I want to encourage you all in your house church, as soon as we're done here, to have someone open their Bible and read Psalm 126. Psalm 126. And have someone or maybe a few people read it aloud. And then I want to encourage you to discuss the questions that are provided to your house church shepherd. You see, the kind of joy the groom feels when he sees his bride walking down the the aisle on their wedding day, the kind of joy a, a hitter feels rounding third base and pointing his gaze towards home plate to see his teammates waiting for him, that's joy and that's available to us. Not in a way that's manipulated or mustered up. If we just grit our teeth and try hard to be joyful, that's not the joy that's available to us. It is a joy that comes and we know that we are in the presence of a God, as we've talked about the last few weeks, a presence of a God who promises renewal and joy by the look on his face. When we know there's someone we are in the presence of who is glad that we are with them. Remember, this is the God who sent his son Jesus to be among us. To understand joy is to understand Emmanuel. 
God is with us. God is present and he is grateful to have us in his presence and his countenance lights up when we are with him. This is God with us, Emmanuel. Woohoo! Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.